Bibles tonight to the book of Matthew, chapter number 9. If you're on my mailing list, no doubt you got the email that uh, Sunday night we'll be back in our study of the book of Revelation, be in chapter number 6. And also the announcement that we're going to start a series tonight on the subject of prayer for the next, uh, well, I don't know how many weeks, but uh, uh, I'm just guessing next seven or eight weeks probably we'll be uh, on this subject. You know, every week we receive our prayer request, and, uh, you know, I can't help but wonder if... Uh, if we really pray about these needs after the meeting is over. And I don't say that so much, you know, to question you, to sit in judgment of you, because I don't know. I just know, based on my own personal experience, that I've been guilty at times of making mention to pray for so-and-so, and then, just to be honest, I forgot all about it and didn't think of it maybe for... Uh, for several days, and uh, that's one reason that you know I, I I keep a prayer list, and I you know I try to look at that you know and I sit down each day and go over that prayer list. But it, you know it's, it's sometimes you get busy and you do things, and uh, so a lot of times you know we we talk about prayer and we don't really get around uh, to praying, and uh, or at least we don't pray as we should. And praying as we should involves not just frequency, but fervency also. It makes a difference how we pray when we pray. And, and I, I can't help but wonder, the several years ago, and I, I, again, as I said, I lose track of time. I, uh, you know, I thought we'd been here two years and it had been four. I thought my back surgery was seven or eight years ago, and it's been something like about 14 or 15. And so I'm, I just really... Lose track of time. But anyway, sometime in the past, I remember that I preached a message. I preached a message entitled, A Prayer Request from Jesus. A Prayer Request from Jesus. And you know, I wonder if we would be any more serious about the matter of prayer if the Lord Himself made the request. I mean, how would we feel if, if He suddenly walked in and uh, interrupted the service, as it were, and said, you know, I have something I would uh, like for you all to listen to. I've got something I want to say. I have a matter that I want you to pray about. Would you? (laughs) I I bet it would make an impact, you know, if he walked in, if you didn't die of a heart attack, you know, uh, to think about being in the presence of the Lord. And sometimes we forget about the fact that He is here. He is here. And He has spoken, and we're going to see that here in just a a little while, because here in chapter number 9, we see His request is recorded. Let's begin reading in verse number 35. And Jesus went about all of the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. And then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, 
but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, uh, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. You know, anybody that reads the Bible knows that Jesus prayed often. And we also know that Jesus told others to pray. And we know that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. But as far as I know, this is the only place in all of the Bible where Jesus makes a request for his followers to pray about a specific matter. In other places, you know, he said you ought to pray and not to faint. But here, he tells them they ought to pray, and then he tells them what to pray about. So, this is a prayer request from Jesus. Notice who made the request, because I think that makes a big difference, don't you? He, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, over the years, I've heard some requests that I, that I knew was a waste of time. And I say that because I've had people to ask me and ask the church to pray for them about things that, that I knew was unscriptural. Things that God had already spoken about. There's no need in praying about that. You know, I've had, you know, teenagers, for example, and young people to, in a situation, in a relationship, and pray that, you know, that he or she will come around and, you know, and I, I want to get married and they're not ready right now and so forth. And don't have any business getting married at all, being unequally yoked together. You see, God's already spoken about that. You don't need to pray about something like that. You don't need to, uh, you know, ask the church to pray about something where God has already clearly defined what his will is in regards to that. But when Jesus makes a request, we ought to never take that lightly. The very fact that He is the one making the request really should be all of the reason that we need to pray. We ought to pray because He tells us to pray. Think about it. His judgments are always correct. His motives are always pure. His words are always true. His demands are always righteous. His will is always right. And not just right, but it's always best. And His example is inspiring. You see, He's not asking us to do anything that He didn't do. His life was filled with prayer. In fact, and we forget this sometimes, but do you know what He's doing right now? He's praying for us praying for His people, making intercession for you and I. That's His present ministry at the right hand of the Father. I mean, He already provided salvation through His death on the cross, but now as our mediator, He is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And because of that, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Were it not for Him intervening on our behalf, we would have no rights to go before the throne of God. So this is the one who is making the request or command, however you want to think of it. But He says, pray. Notice what the request is for. It's to pray. 
That's what he says. Pray. And you ought to just underline that one word. You know, he says more later on, but just that one word tells the story. This is what he wanted them to do. Notice, he did not request any comforts for himself. He could have said, look, I want you all to really be praying for me. And by the way, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with us asking others to pray for us in our needs. So that's not what I'm getting at. But I'm saying in this instance where he's trying to drive home a point that we'll be looking at here in a little bit, he doesn't say, look, it's going to really be tough for me. Uh, they're going to... Is this on? Oh, all right. Oh, yeah, the flight and were you shouting or raising your hands or... Uh, or, or what? He's, I thought he's trying to get my attention, and he did. Uh, but he didn't request any comfort for himself. He didn't request that they marshaled an army and overthrow the heathen government, you know, that was ruling over the Jews. He could have done that, you know. And, 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 and sometimes we get so frustrated with what's going on in the world, you know, we're, we're tempted to make that the point of our prayer there, you know, and and our effort. But he says nothing about you know, I want you to go out here and marshal an army. He didn't ask them to form protests against the injustices of the day. He didn't ask them to seek assistance from the intellects, intellectual astute of the day and get their opinion on what they ought to do. He didn't say, I want you to check with Dr. Phil, you know, and see what he thinks about what your problem is. And he didn't ask them to devise some surefire scheme that would make the, you know, attract large crowds and make the church grow. Remember, he's speaking to his disciples that this constituted the, the first church. And he didn't say, and look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to construct a big building with stained glass windows and a steeple and a bell they can hear all over town and padded pews and all of that. You see, he could have, he could have made a lot of different requests, but the request here is what? Pray. Pray. If we're not praying, we're not doing the will of God. You know, a lot of times we talk about the fact that the most important thing in all of the world, and we generally, you know, we generally connect it with the Bible study. God speaks to us through Bible study. We speak to God through prayer, you know, and, and, uh, and it's easy to say, well, and, and I think I've often said Bible study is the most important thing because it's more important that God speaks to you than it is for you to speak to God. But I'm not even sure I'm totally correct about that. But I'll tell you what, if you are studying your Bible on a regular basis, you're much more likely to have the kind of prayer life that you ought to have because you will recognize your need of speaking to God. But we talk about how important prayer is, that we can't accomplish anything without prayer. And we'll talk a lot about that later on. Everything we ought to do ought to be bathed in prayer. But there's so many times we talk about the importance of it and then neglect it altogether. So he says, I want you to pray. Now notice why this request was made. We see what the request was for and who the request came from, but notice why it was made. And notice in verse number 38 that word, therefore, therefore. In other words, based on what he had just said, therefore, and so the reasoning 
The reasoning behind the request is twofold. He mentions two things. Number one, he says the harvest truly is plenteous. Well, it's easy to see where the heart of Jesus was, right? Because we just read that when he saw the multitudes, it says that he was moved with compassion and By the way, this was not an isolated event in his life. Throughout his life on earth, he repeatedly demonstrated great concern for other people. Nobody can deny that fact. He cared about people. And so that's the point here. Uh, We think about his mission statement. Look in Luke chapter number 4, but because maybe, maybe you didn't even know that Jesus had a mission statement. You know, businesses and churches have mission statements. Well, I want you to notice what his mission statement is in chapter 4 of Luke, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's his mission statement. And so we see evidence that he cared about people based on his mission statement. But not only that, we see it also in his personal example. Thirdly, we see it in the great commandment. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, whenever, you know, they ask him what the first and great commandment was, he said, well, the first great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and all of thy soul and all of thy might. But the second is like unto the first, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so, actually, they're tied together, loving God and loving others. So, in the great commandments, and if you'll notice out there on the door, the little sign there, it says, a church committed to the commandments and the commission of Christ. So, as we look at the commandments, they remind us that we ought to care for one another. We look at the Great Commission, which says to go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In all of that, we see the Lord's concern for people. And then we see it in His very last words, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, where He says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and ye shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What does that tell you? It tells you Jesus cares about people. Now, isn't that where our heart should be also? I mean, shouldn't that be our main concern Should we have a different agenda than what the Lord had? Absolutely not. He was concerned about lost souls, and that's where our concern ought to be. Um, Several years ago, again, I I, I remember, and and it took me a while to find some of these today, and of course, uh, whenever you're dealing with statistics, I realize that a few years can, you know, make a big difference, but, but I think these would be pretty close to right just whenever you look at the, the world in general. The population here, the population is now over 7 billion people in the world. Think about that. And, and the harvest is growing every single day. And then you think about the religions of the world, and one in five, one in five is Muslim. One in eight, Hindu. One in ten, 
non-religious at all, one in 20 Buddhists. So whenever you, whenever you think about all of the people that are enslaved to these various religions, and oh, by the way, you know, when we talk about Christianity, a lot of times people will say, oh yeah, but look at the good portion of the world that's made up of Christians. And you know what we do? We forget about the fact that, that the majority of those that are professing Christians are just as unsaved as the Muslims are. You know, it's real easy for us to say, you know, we look at the Mormons and we look at the Jehovah Witnesses and we say, well, they are so far out there. You know, those people are not Christians at all. And, and we've got a legitimate uh, grounds for making a statement like that. Because what they believe about Christ is not at all what the Bible teaches about Christ, Right? And so we say, you know, you would never want to be a part of that. But but then someone comes along, they're a member of the Catholic Church or the Church of Christ or a lot of others I could name, and we say, well, you know, they don't believe like we do, but they're, they're okay. Really? You tell me the difference between a Catholic that believes you've got to keep the sacraments to get to heaven and a Muslim that believes you've got to go out here and, and, uh, and, and kill people and whatever, you know, all of the stuff that they do. There's no difference, none whatsoever. There's no difference between the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons who deny what the Bible says about Christ and try to get to heaven through their own works what's the difference between them and the church of Christ that says you've got to be baptized to go to heaven? There's no difference whatsoever. You see, because it's all based on works as far as they're concerned. So the reason I'm raising this point is we, we look at the world, the population of the world and the religions of the world, and it's very easy to see that we are in the minority. It's no wonder the Lord spoke about the harvest truly is plenteous. In other words, can you see it? I mean, we're just a little speck in the population, and we've got a command to do what? Preach the gospel to the whole world. And then there's the matter of, of ethnic uh, origin. There's approximately 24,000 different people groups in the world, each with their own language or dialect. And then we get down to the language, there are 6,500 spoken languages, and uh, only 2,000 have the entire Bible in their language. Think about that. That means there's 4,500 different languages on this earth where they do not have a complete Bible like you and I do. That's sad when you stop and think about it. I've got a good friend, and and, uh, and he's involved in translating the Bible in other languages and... Uh, uh, well, it's Brother Turk's son, Louis Anthony Turk, and uh, he's devoted his life to that. He doesn't get much praise for it. He could stay here in the States, and he could pastor a church here and draw a good salary, drive a nice car, and uh, instead of that, while well, he's over in, in Indonesia, uh, over there working with those people and translating the Bible, now several of his boys are involved in that ministry also. And, and there's just such a great need to get the gospel message to the whole world. But look, 
we don't even have to look to Indonesia and Africa and China and around the world and all of the other religions. All we've got to do is to consider the 300 million people right here in the United States of America and to realize that only a small percentage of them have ever trusted Christ as their Savior. The Lord said, I want you to pray. And we need to ask ourselves, are we really praying? And then, notice he says, here's why I want you to pray. The harvest truly is plenteous. Here's the second part of that. But the labors are few. You know, as I read that, I cannot help but wonder why. Why are the labors few? Number one, maybe most obvious, is the fact that we're in the minority. You know, we can't expect, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to, to have as many people out here maybe as, uh, uh, as a lot of the other religions, you know. We've got people crusading for them and so forth, but, because we're in the minority. So that means we're going to have fewer workers to draw from. But then there's some bad reasons like laziness, wrong priorities, it's, just, it's so easy for us to get overly excited about things that really, really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Now, I like football. I like to root for the Texans and what have you. And I just, I heard something today. I didn't look into it or investigate. You know, the other day they burned Chubb's jersey uh, after he'd thrown interceptions. And now I just saw some headlines. There are people going to his house. I don't know what they're doing or anything else. They're going to his house. I mean, it, it's getting bad and it's getting dangerous when people, you know, do stuff like that. But uh, I, I was out in the car yesterday and going, uh, well, not all the way across town, but a pretty good trip and, and back. And, and mo- most of the way, I just wanted to see what they were saying. And the talk radio, do you realize people are talking about Football games all day long, every day. You go on ESPN and it's all about sports. Nothing wrong with sports. Don't get me wrong. But there's something wrong with sports whenever that's where our main focus is. And a lot of people have lost their focus on what is really important in this world. They've got their priorities all messed up. And then there are other things, of course. There's the matter of conflicts. You know, I just mentioned a while ago by way of uh, uh, by, by way of prayer, and Brother Ron asked prayer for the leadership team. You know, and, and, and I'm talking about. You know, I don't know how it is in your in your household, uh, but I have many more disagreements with my wife than I do with any of you all. <laughs> don't you? <laughs> you don't have to tell her I said that. I, I'll bet it's the same way in your house too, right? Sure it is. Absolutely it is. Because whenever, whenever, whenever you're with the people that you love and you're with them all of the time, sometimes there's going to be friction that'll build up and, and there's going to be differences and so forth. And sooner or later you find yourself at each other's throat. And, and, and of course that's learning to work through those problems. But let me tell you something. There's some people that never learn to work through their problems. They spend their life running from their problems instead of working through their problems. They not only do that in marriages, they do that in churches also. And there's something that'll come up, you know, well, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to come back anymore, you know. 
You know, boy, whenever I was a young preacher, that used to worry the daylights out of me. You know, the best thing that can happen sometimes, whenever somebody is disgruntled and you've tried and you've tried to help them and you've tried to, you know, do whatever you could to, to, to help them with the situation, sometimes the best thing can happen for them to get out of there as fast as they can because the longer they stay, they become like a cancer eating away and they'll destroy a church. And so I just figure when I've done all that I can, I'm going to leave it in God's hands. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'm not. And, uh, you know, that's on them. That's between them and God. Now, somebody can say, well, it doesn't sound like you really care. Yeah, I do care. But the point, the fact of the point is, there's some things you can't control and some things you can't change. And you can drive yourself crazy, uh, you know, trying to deal with those issues and, Sometimes the best thing you can do is just say, here it is, Lord, and leave it. I, I was reading the book David uh, Scott gave me the other day, and I don't recommend you read it, so I won't give you the name. It, it's, but in, in, anyway, I, <laughs> I shouldn't have mentioned this, David. And it's, <laughs> it's about this certain cop, and I'm, you know. And he was talking about the morbid sense of humor those guys have. You know, those in the emergency services and those that are in the law enforcement, and they got this weird, crazy sense of humor. I mean, they'll be standing out there in blood and guts everywhere and somebody making a joke, you know, and somebody on the outside looking in, you know, they think, why, well, you know, these, these people are, how did I get off on all of this? <laughs> these people don't, don't have any compassion for people at all. And he was trying to explain, You've got to have some way to deal with that kind of stuff. That's why in the operating room at the hospital, you know, they'll be making jokes and playing music and everything like that, you know, because they've got to have some coping mechanism to help them deal with the situation. And I'm telling you, don't you let others drag you down by their negative attitude. You put it in God's hands and you walk off and you leave it there. And you go on and do what you know that you ought to do. Now, there's another thing in this regards, why the labors are few. And I don't have time to, it's a good thing to deal with it a lot, but it's pluralism. Now, pluralism is the idea that, that everything's okay. Pluralism says, you know, that every religion is just fine, even though they're different. There's nobody that's wrong. You know, even though they don't agree, nobody is wrong because as long as they're sincere in what they believe, you know, uh, one religion is just as good as another. You know, with an attitude like that, I can see why people wouldn't see the need to pray. I mean, why would you pray? Why would you be concerned? Why would you witness? If one religion is as good as another, why would you even witness about it? So tonight, I wanted to speak about this prayer request from Jesus to kind of lay a foundation for our thoughts for the next several weeks. And in light of all of that, just ask ourselves this question, should we not pray? Should we not pray? Jesus made a request, and He gave the reason behind the request. Because the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. I can remember a time many years ago when it was a very, very common thing in the church for, uh, for us to have young men surrender to the ministry. It's common. And, and just about every independent Baptist church would have five, six, seven, eight, maybe 
young preachers in the congregation. Some of them would go off to Bible college, some of them wouldn't. They'd stay there under the pastor and learn under the pastor. And the first thing you know, the church would send them out and they'd start a church or, or, or they, you know, they'd go somewhere or to the mission field or whatever. And, and it, it is just mind-boggling when you stop and think, uh, when's the last time someone surrendered their life to preach the gospel? Wow. And, and I'm not talking about just this last year, folks. I'm telling you, and, and it's not just here. As I talk to other pastors, it's like this all over. In fact, there are almost no young men surrendering to the ministry anymore. Boy, that's a telltale sign that we are headed for serious trouble. Because if there are no young preachers coming up after us older preachers are dead and gone, where does that leave you? It leaves a nation starving to death spiritually and nobody to feed them. The harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. And ask yourself this question. When was the last time you prayed for the Lord to raise up some man out of this church to surrender to the ministry, to surrender his life to preach the gospel? Have you, have you ever prayed that way at all? I'm not trying to embarrass you or anything else. I want to challenge you to start. I want you to start praying that way in your prayers. Dear Lord, I mean, what does it take? Ten seconds? Add, add it to your other prayers. Dear Lord, lay it on the heart of some of our young men to surrender their life to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we could go on and on. There's a lot of other things I'd like to say, but I'm going to wrap it up like this. You know, a lot of times we, we get in the emergency mode and, and we recognize the need for God's help and uh, we realize that we, we better pray. Because we're getting ready to build a building, or we're getting ready to take on this challenge or that challenge, or, or we're running out of money, or we got a problem, and so we need to pray, and we recognize that. So somebody says, well, what we really need is a prayer meeting. I'm not against prayer meetings. But I'll tell you what we need more than a prayer meeting. We need a prayer life. A prayer life. Because it's real easy to call a prayer meeting together, get all the church together, and say, "Come on, let's let's everybody fast today, and we're going to meet at seven o'clock." And, and and this is fine. Don't don't please don't misunderstand me. There are times that we've done that, and times that we need to do it, and we could never do it too much. That's not what I'm saying. But there are a lot of times we do that, and then we have no prayer life. And I think God surely must look upon that as hypocrisy of the highest kind for us to call a special meeting, recognizing, you know, it's kind of like the governor calling the state to prayer because there's a drought, you know. I'm calling all of our people to pray. The cattle are dying and, you know, and the, the, the farmer's not going to make any money and the prices are going up. I, you know, boy, it really sounds spiritual. A lot of people have been, you know, so worried about, well, they've taken prayer out of schools. I'm not worried about them taking prayer out of schools. I'm worried about the fact there's no prayer in the homes. That's what really bothers me. I don't, you know, we don't send our kids to school, uh, to the public schools for the sake of a spiritual education. They come to church and the home to do that. 
But whenever there's no prayer in the home, that's when we're really in trouble. Let us pray. Why? Because sometimes I says, well, you know, prayer meeting tonight, Brother Stone really wants us all to be there. I think we ought to go. The pastor requested it. No, you forget about my request. Jesus made a request. He said, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. This is why I want you to pray. This is what I want you to pray. That the Lord of harvest will send labors out into the fields to reap those that are lost. Let's stand together. Father, forgive.